0: Hello everybody, hello for uh, the listeners of the podcast of Gabor Speaks. Now today we are going to talk about Toastmasters, the past of Toastmasters and maybe the possible future of Toastmasters. This topic is really alive with me because now I have decided, well not now, but a couple of months ago I decided that it's time to end my Toastmasters career and it's important for me to understand where this decision has come from, whether my view on things is true or false. And I want to to understand all these things. And I hope that this is also going to be helpful for you, dear listeners, because maybe you think about uh, coming to Toastmasters, maybe you are in Toastmasters, maybe you left in Toastmasters. So this might be also bringing up some interesting things or facts that you can listen to and you can also consider. And to help me in this little journey, discussion, we have David here, uh, David McDowell, if I uh, uh, remember right. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, welcome, David. Thank Please you. introduce uh, yourself in, in a couple of sentences so that the listeners can get to know you too.
1: Oh, okay. I'm David McDowell, and I am from Canada, so I just speak English. I don't speak Polish. I'm here traveling around, looking at Europe. I've been to Europe probably three or four or five times at least, and I kind of like it. It's a different, totally, completely different world. I belong to Toastmasters, and I'm coming back to Toastmasters again right now, actually, um, for a couple of reasons. One, when you're in a foreign country what you hear is a lot of what we call white noise because it's all other people speaking in their own language and mm-hmm. you don't in understand any of it and so when you get an opportunity to go to somewhere like toastmasters where they speak English it's nice to hear your own language okay so that's one of the reasons that I went the other reason what I went is to get back to in my speaking skills to where I was years ago
0: mhm okay and so maybe a couple of uh, words about you, who you are, where you're from, how did you grow up <laughs> just okay, like I know it's a huge story. I know it's an enormous yeah. story, but maybe just briefly
1: sure i yeah i I grew up in uh, years and years ago i'm I'm actually eighty one years of age. I was born to a large family, a very poor family. We were really poor there were five brothers and and four sisters. In the family, I was set number seven in the family, and in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which is just close to the geographical east-west center of Canada, joined the army when I was young. Then did all kinds of things. I changed professions constantly and trades and so on because I have a 100% belief that uh, anybody can do anything that they want whenever they want, and it just requires a little more education and a little more more learning. So I've gone through two marriages, I don't seem to know how to pick women very well or something, but over here, and I met a Ukrainian girl, and I'm hoping actually to marry her in November. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at, and I thought I would come to Poland and maybe teach a bit of English. With COVID, it's difficult because I wanted to do seminars, and so you can't just get together because of uh, the COVID and everything right now. Mm-hmm. So here I am, and I'm pleased to be here. And answer any questions that you have or help you out or just give you information whatever you like
0: well thank you very much for that <clears throat> and this is actually also how we met uh, on a Toastmasters meeting when David came and uh, we just started talking and I thought that this is going to be a really interesting topic for the, the podcast of Gabor Speaks let's go back to the past because you have a huge experience in Toastmasters it can be around uh, five decades or so, something like this. You, you will tell, tell us about that. How was uh, your beginning of the Toastmasters journey?
1: I joined Toastmasters in the 1970s. Uh-huh. <coughs> so that, <coughs> pardon me, that's a long time ago. <coughs> and at that time, when I first joined Toastmasters, I joined an all-male club. We were actually, as far as I know, the last all-male club in Canada. That was before, obviously, females were allowed. And one of the reasons why I joined was I worked in the forest industry. The forest industry was the largest industry in British Columbia at that time. It's not that big right now, but it was the largest industry. And because I wanted to advance and get ahead in life, whatever that meant at that particular time, and get into management because it paid more and it was kind of a better job than working in the Union. Management at that time, in actuality they encouraged you to join Toastmasters. Hmm. Not only did they encourage you, but they said, like, if you go to Toastmasters and then you get what's called a CTM, which is a competent Toastmaster, after doing a certain number of speeches, you pay in advance, and once you get the competent Toastmaster, we will reimburse you for all your fees that you paid at Toastmasters. So we did that, and I did that, rather, (coughs) and quite a few other people, uh, males at that time, quite a few others did the same thing and then a letter was sent from Toastmasters International down in the United States to the employer saying that we had completed all this and we were now competent Toastmasters and competent to be able to speak in public at at any given time. So that really encouraged a lot of people to go and because it was all males at that time we met Friday nights at a dinner meeting and it was very very formal we had to wear a either a suit or a sports jacket and a tie to all meetings, and if you did not come properly dressed, you just weren't allowed to even take part into the meetings.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what, what is a sports jacket?
1: It's just <laughs> a, a instead of just a suit suit jacket is exactly the pants and the jacket are identical. Okay, a sports jacket is something just slightly different. It's just the jacket is different, so you could have black pants and a okay gray sports jacket if you wanted. Yes, it's just called a sports jacket.
0: But it's not like a, a team's jersey or no no or something no like oh, that. no no okay. no no no
1: no it's, it's, <períod quitping> it's formal it's very formal all right all right formal yes, right. yeah so we did that and uh, yeah and I really enjoyed it I got so that I I liked it I I took part a, in everything that they did I held positions every position in the club a couple of positions in area and then I got into speech contests and enjoyed that. Uh, I just really liked talking. <laughs> 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 At that time, even more so than now. It was that simple, I think. Plus, as I said, you know, the employer helped it out. And, and I think that helped me get my first promotion into management. Because then you, you knew how to speak, you knew how to go to meetings and speak. They do what's something is called table topics, which is really good in Toastmasters for those of you who are familiar because quite often at work, you, your boss, because everybody has a boss or the manager or the person above you, would approach you and ask you something. And you don't have 30 seconds to think about it or anything else. You've got to answer right away. And I think Toastmasters really provided that training for you. I also think that the training they provided years ago was probably superior to what it is today.
0: Mm-hmm. I Sorry, just a second. I want to explain it quickly that table topics is sort of an impromptu speech that you don't really have much time to prepare and you need to talk without any sort of, uh, well, this structure, of course, but you don't have time to prepare the structure. So that's uh, kind of like a normal conversation when you have to give the answer right away. So oh, sorry, thank you very much.
1: Not a problem. You know, it, no, it's an interesting. I love table topics. I used to get oh, extremely nervous, yeah. but I <laughs> love table topics. And and we had to speak for two minutes, and everything is timed. And so I'd, you would get a green light. We had lights at that time, mm. actually, and you'd get a green light at one minute, an orange light at a minute and a half, and the red light at two minutes. And so you had to speak for two minutes. Or Usually, actually, you got it about five seconds before the two minutes because you had to be finished by two minutes, before two minutes. So even for newcomers, just to get you to speak at least two minutes or to be there for two minutes, when you stood up for table topics for two minutes, you had to stand and stay there. And even if you couldn't think of anything to say, at yeah. least until after you got your green light. So if you'd and and we had dinner meetings, all our meetings were dinner meetings, and so the waitress it was waitresses at that time, not uh, waiters, would be coming in and out. You'd be trying to eat your food. It's in the middle of it. You'd be asked table topics, so you had to stand up, quit eating, put your knife and fork down, stand up, push your chair back, address the table topic, and was far far more formal than what I've seen anywhere in Europe so far. I've been to, I guess, Ukraine, here, and I think it was. Croatia uh, uh, Toastmasters and it's far far less formal here than when I first joined. It's less formal too right now in in Canada and the United States and I think that is because from my point of view it's because women came into it. They allowed Mm -hmm. females into it and it became far more less formal Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Why so? Why, Why is that so?
1: I don't know I don't know. We used to have it One of the biggest changes I've seen after... i got to be careful here. I don't want to knock the females, but I can tell you that. (laughs) After females come in, I believe the level of speaking went down. Mm -hmm. And here's why the level of speaking went down, is each... We, we, to become a competent Toastmaster, there was 10 speeches that you had to accomplish. And other than the first one, which was called the icebreaker, which simply meant that you stood up, you told a bit about yourself, and broke the ice, so to speak, talking to people. Every, the other nine speeches had an objective, an actual objective that you had to accomplish each mm-hmm. and every time. For example, the fifth one, was that the, the object was to convince your audience. So you had to present a speech, a five to seven minute speech, to convince your audience about something. If your evaluator at that time didn't believe that you accomplished that goal, you would not pass it and you had to repeat it. executive would then look at it before, you know, they just wouldn't accept the evaluator's word. That was their opinion. They would look at it and because they were always at the meetings, and they would decide, yes, you didn't quite do that. You were good at this and this and this, but you missed these other parts, and so you'd have to repeat it. After females came into the clubs, that was done away with, and everybody, because they felt simply because you got up and delivered a speech, you should pass. Well, we, <laughs> quite a few of the males, we had a real hard time with that because we felt, no, you shouldn't pass unless you actually accomplish the objective. And if you don't accomplish the objective, you should repeat it and repeat it until you do accomplish it. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things, and I've noticed that in all the clubs now and with the pathways and everything, you just have to stand up, you deliver your speech, it doesn't matter how good it is. And I and I have a difficulty with that. It doesn't matter, give me a lousy speech and just so pass, you go on to the next one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't understand it, so I, like, it, it, I have a hard time getting it in my mind that that's okay to do, to move on. Mm-hmm. I think you should be told, no, I'm sorry, you just haven't accomplished this.
0: But why is that, uh, that you can't uh, do it uh, with, with females? Because, for example, in the education system, you know, females also fail, males also fail, and it's perfectly okay to tell them, this is not enough, come back later when you're prepared so like this is of course an explanation but not uh, like I, I don't feel that this is everything that maybe there is um how to say there's something else to those masters that changed apart from of course uh, women let into into those masters but i don't know maybe there is something else there's
1: nothing else that i can remember Okay. I'm not saying there wasn't anything else. There's nothing else I can remember. It just seemed that everything was going and then all of a sudden females came in because we had we had to accept them. Mm-hmm. I was against accepting females only because at that time they also had toastmistresses clubs. <laughs> okay. So they had toastmasters and toastmistress. Uh-huh. And so the toast mistresses or the females were allowed to adjoin Toastmasters, but Toastmasters weren't the males weren't allowed to join the Toastmistress. So I thought it either <laughs> should be one or we keep our separate, whatever, you know, with mm-hmm. just males and just females, and uh, we were told, our club was told, actually, they would t- remove our charter from us mm-hmm. if we didn't start accepting females, and I think it was about 18 months after that, that they did away with Toast Mistresses, okay. and it did become one, which was better.
0: Those mistresses sounds very noty <laughs> these days. <laughs> Toast yeah, yeah. But getting
1: back to what you said, you see, it was at that time when the when the women started coming in, and I can remember coming up at our club, discussing the discussion with the executive. There was now two females on our executives because there was, we had a club of about forty, forty to forty five. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to speak or take part in the meetings, you had to let the educational vice president know. Well, in advance, or you just weren't on the agenda because everybody showed up after we got a fair number of females on the executive and everything they put forward that because you stood up and you had just presented yourself that in itself was hard enough, and you should automatically pass mm-hmm. well, because they had at that time when in our club anyways they had the the majority they voted it that way
2: mm-hmm.
1: and lost more members. <laughs> from guys again because we were all professional and we wanted to present ourselves that way and we felt that uh, it was no longer being presented that way. Mm-hmm. Guys were starting to show up in blue jeans. Women were starting to uh, uh, dress differently. We didn't care if they wore slacks. I mean, they didn't have to wear a skirt or dress or anything, but they we wanted them to be, you know, dressed properly, whatever that meant at that particular mm-hmm. time. And you got to remember that's going back into the 19th, late mid-70s and late 70s and so it was a different world than it is now
0: Mm -hmm. okay it's interesting what you say because i think it's really good if public speaking can be less formal because where we do public speaking is not only at business meetings like we maybe we tell a story to our friends maybe we go and speak at uh at birthday party, some places where there are also males and females. And I think it's also great to pe- prepare for that. Not to mention all the, the other kinds of public speaking that are more artsy, let's say, that are more in, um, in the realm of art. I think all public speaking is in the realm of art. That's the answer for me. I don't see a separation between business public speaking and art public speaking but for example you you have a theater play let's say or what i did it's i did uh, improv comedy improv theater all those things and this uh, toastmasters and public speaking was tremendously helpful to to help me also to grow whenever i did a stand up or impromptu speaking etc telling stories to friends so I think it's also really great to, to prepare for those events that happen in your life and they are not in a corporate setting. What do you think? Certainly
1: there's that and it's far, far more informal now. And that is good that it's informal. Mm-hmm. I, I, yes, I agree with you. That okay. part. Yeah, that's really good that it's informal and that we've reached that point. But I, I, I still believe that we should accomplish whatever the... It is the requirements of the Toastmaster mm-hmm. for that particular time. And if you have to accomplish something and fulfill the ob- the objects of whatever that lesson is, that you should be required to do that. I think that's the main thing. And as I said, we were professional. We were all professional men looking to advance our careers at that time. At that time, too, <laughs> going back into the, into the 70s, uh, and in Canada, and I can't speak for the rest of the world or anything, It wasn't that long previous to that that women had the vote.
2: Okay.
1: You know, so women weren't in society everywhere and everything else. And Aboriginal people actually in Canada never got the vote until 1952. So we were still developing as a country and looking at it from Toastmasters probably from a different point of view then. And, And I don't know of any females, and I've never met a female at that particular time when I was going through management and management training. There are no females in management whatsoever, and that has changed, obviously, tremendously. Nowadays, I mean... And sorry, when did,
0: when did they get to vote in Canada?
1: Oh, in Canada, they still got to vote in the 1920s. Okay.
0: 1922,
1: I think it was, something right. like that, yeah. But it didn't seem a, that long ago. For example, uh, one of the things that uh, I used to teach years ago was uh, how to shake hands properly. Okay. Because <laughs> there's only one proper way to shake hands, and most females didn't know how to shake hands. Mm-hmm. And they still don't know totally because it's been something new in the world, period, uh-huh. in shaking hands. And m- I don't know so much right now because I've watched them with, and obviously shaken hands sh- with, with a lot of females as to whether or not they know how to shake hands properly yet. There is only one proper way and it's inter- interesting to watch them. What,
0: what is the proper way?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you something. I think it's kind of hard to explain. I can show you, but it's hard to explain. Uh-huh. When, when you open up your hand and you have your thumb and you have your, the rest of your fingers over in the side, right in the middle of your thumb here is this part here. Well, I don't know what that's called. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the proper way to shake hands is to bear. If they're together and then close your hand. Uh-huh,
0: okay, okay.
2: Yeah,
1: and there's also misconceptions in the fact that people think that a man squeezes somebody else's hand to show strength, and that's not true. They don't squeeze. What they do is they try to show that they are probably superior to you by when they mm-hmm. shake hands, they put your palm down.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And if they put your palm down and my knuckles are up, then I'm superior. So what happens is you try and push mine down. Uh-huh. That's what happens. And okay. that's why they think they're, they're squeezing it. If you watch, uh, and still today, I still watch very very carefully all the world leaders regardless of who they are and because they do take training on how to shake hands how to st- how to stand and so on and you can watch because they trump is an interesting one <laughs> because when he shakes hands he not only shakes hands but he puts his other hand on your shoulder which is
0: uh-huh. the, the higher up,
1: the higher up he goes yes the uh-huh. more dominant he is letting you know that you're just inferior to him okay. so I watch them very carefully and of course I watch Putin very carefully as mm-hmm. do, because he shakes hands if you watch Putin you can see he shakes hands differently with different leaders
0: oh I didn't notice that I'll, I'll pay attention but now <laughs> let's uh, let's yeah, go I'm back i going way
1: off on a tangent I'm sorry no
0: but this is really interesting so it's, I also have to stop myself not to go down in these rabbit holes because <laughs> uh, yeah like there are so many things that are interesting so, yeah, like when, when we go back to Toastmasters, so in you started in the 70s, and how did it uh, change? Like what uh, you said, uh, for example, that quality was deter- deteriorating, and uh, what were the signs of that? <coughs> the, Apart from what you mentioned already, of course.
1: The, the signs were mostly coming from attendance at and watching speech contests
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and how the speeches went and how good you had to be to get to the various levels to win at, you know, the district level or beyond, that it used to be very, very difficult and it suddenly seemed to be easier. The speeches weren't that great. And Mm -hmm. I used to look at it, and I don't have an answer as to why that happened or what happened in Toastmasters for that but I do know that the speeches weren't as good in the late 80s as they were in the 70s when you mm-hmm. listened to it. And, and I don't know what happened there.
0: And what makes a speech good, in your opinion?
1: <coughs> well, following the, 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 the. With a speech contest, there's certain rules that you have to follow. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at uh, all those rules at that particular time. For a uh, speech contest, you have five to seven minutes. If you go over seven, if you're under five minutes, you're disqualified. If you're over seven minutes, you're disqualified. It's just that simple. You have to stay within the time. Also, in speech contests years ago, table topics was part of speech contest, part of the speech contest. There's no longer is. You just have the speech contest. But you used to have the speech contest and then and where you presented your formal speech and after that, then part of it was you were called up and you were presented with a topic mm. when you got. To again to the podium and so you had 30 seconds at that time or 15 seconds usually because it, your speech started the timing started as soon as you uttered your first word so if you said thank you Mr. Toastmaster or whatever that's when your speech started the very first word you said and if you said um that's when it started kind of thing mm-hmm. and so you had to answer the table topics also so it was both it was both the formal speech and the table topic and they did away with the table topics. and I could never understand that. I thought, well, that's part, in, in my mind, in my opinion, that was part and part of being a Toastmaster, mm-hmm. being able to present a formal speech and being able to do table topics.
0: And that makes a lot of sense. Now it is separate. So there is a separate contest for table topics, a separate contest for, let's say, international speeches. That's like every topic that you want to talk about. There is one category for humorous speeches and one category for speech evaluations, and as far as I know, yes, that's that's correct. That international speeches, that's that's the the world championship chip of public speaking, and all the remaining three they stop on the district level. So that is um, let let's say a big area. In in our case, so District 108, it is uh, Poland, Finland, and the Baltic countries. So Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia. That's the district, but uh, as I said, humorous speeches, uh, speech evaluation contests, and uh, table topic contests, they don't go above that, so they don't have this uh, uh, worldwide level. Yeah, see, there's
1: one other thing that happened. I'm glad you brought you brought that up, sure. actually. It's one of the things that happened that really changed a lot. And I don't know how it influenced Toastmasters, but you guys, everybody can think about how this might have influenced Toastmasters. At the, at the time when I joined and I first went to Toastmasters and everything, <coughs> we were only in English speaking countries.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We were not, Toastmasters were not in Europe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then suddenly you were bringing in people. From, I'm just going to say a foreign country because it was foreign to the United States. Keep in mind, Toastmasters started in the United States and that's where the base is. People who were coming in who spoke English but not quite the same English as those born where English was their first language. And so there was a difference. So it made it that much more difficult to decide. And I think it still is more difficult to decide Nowadays, because people are speaking English and even at a level of of the area or district level they're they're speaking English, and it's a little more difficult to understand and and almost not accept but difficult to judge for an English person when you're hearing somebody who's speaking English as a second language. Mm-hmm. I was a judge in in the Ukraine, for example, and mm-hmm. so and I don't know what district that was, but there were people from several countries then. Sure. <coughs> and I was a judge at that time, and and had some confusion in my mind as to, well, do I judge them for <laughs> when they say something wrong in English? Do I judge them for that, or do I just judge their speech? And so there was some confusion in my mind at that particular mm-hmm. time, as saying, you know. They don't have English as a first language, so do I judge them for that? Mm -hmm. Because they said something backwards or they just don't understand exactly what it is that they should say. So that part was interesting. So I don't know, and I think part of that, because you have so many European people now speaking English and in Toastmasters, that I wonder if, in my mind only, if that has dropped the level. Mm -hmm. Because certainly the people are, uh, you know, English-speaking people are more intelligent than those who don't speak English. It's not that point. But an English-speaking person trying to judge somebody who is has English as a second language is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder how that comes into consideration in the rest of Toastmasters also as to why they changed mm-hmm. with Pathfinder. I don't know.
0: Uh-huh. So this, this is the point I, I understand, that if you hear somebody speaking on your native language, then of course it's a different sort of judgment, because a lot of things that a non-native speaker might say, I guess it sounds dumb for, for native speakers, and that's, uh, that's something that, that I can understand. So maybe, I don't know, it could be combined with, with some sort of training... But there is always uh, the the grammarian role, and the the role of the grammarian is to to correct whatever sounds dumb, whatever doesn't sound like English. And what I see is that uh, every club that is full of non-native speakers, they do appreciate somebody who is from the United States, Canada, Australia, etc. Everybody who can speak English properly, so that they can. Correct uh, the mistakes that uh, that somebody makes.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's interesting and it's difficult.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And when I hear such things, for example, when I came here uh-huh. and I phoned you, you said to give you a call and and you would come down and get me. Okay. So I phoned you and you said, "I'm going to get you." Okay. <laughs> and then I listened. And I said, "Yeah, okay."
0: <laughs>
1: but that's not correct English. All right. The correct English is, "I'm coming to get you." All right. So it's just those little things that you hear, and you, and I believe you would hear that in your own language, whatever your own native language is, whether it's Polish or Hungarian or anything else. You would also get those little nuances, and, and they register in your mind, and you think, okay, that's not quite right, but it doesn't sound bad. I mean, you know exactly what the person's saying. Okay. Uh but it's not quite right in English the question is
0: like going to get you is like something I will beat you up or or something like that no I'm going
1: to you're coming it means you're doing that right now I'm going to means in the
0: future ah okay uh, because it was in a couple of minutes. Yes, so, you. Uh, yes, you were yeah.
1: coming down right to get me right away. You weren't going to get me, which was maybe tomorrow or the, <laughs> okay. next, the yeah. next day, right? So I'm standing outside for an
0: hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going
1: to get you. Don't worry about it, Chad. I'm like, oh, I go. Okay.
0: So, <laughs> eventually, it's going to happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that, yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Right, and so there's all those little things,
0: that, uh-huh.
1: and I know uh, when I was I was a grammarian at the club here, sure, in in, in, in Krakow. So, and because we speak differently, where here you say a W is a V, so it's Krakow. We wouldn't say that; we say Krakow. Mm-hmm. The first meeting I went to, I or the first meeting I went to, where I was the grammarian, I started marking down everything that people said incorrectly from an English point of view. Well, I had to quit because there were so many. I just couldn't pick on everybody, and and I could have picked on every single person and said, you said this wrong, you said this wrong. And it was just so much, and it was just so overwhelming for me. I thought, well, I can't do that. And so halfway through, I had to stop and say, well, I have to pick out what everybody says. And one of the things I picked on was the TH. Yeah, people don't say the. They say duh. It was a D. And as I mentioned to them there, then people in Canada and the United States then think you're uneducated. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting. It's not a right or wrong. It just that's the way it is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so that's what we think in in, in America. I guess so.
0: Yeah. Well, I think is that's, um the um, the culture that reaches us, because I think uh, the culture that uh, that reaches us is mainly the the low culture, not really the high culture. It's not not really common for people to go to American schools or English schools, etc. It's more common to listen to to rap music, uh, rock music, <laughs> or watching movies from, from Hollywood. So it's not not exactly the, the high culture that reaches the, the masses of people. That's something that might explain this.
1: And the other thing that I noticed is that in Europe, at least at the speech contest that I was at, and I was judging the speech contest, mm-hmm. and I had to talk to the main judge afterwards because the one speaker... I would have disqualified because he swore. Mm. He said, damn. In Canada, if you had said, damn, you were disqualified oh. from the speech contest, period. Doesn't matter about the rest of your speech. You swore and there's no room for swearing in the speech contest. And we're not trying to teach you to swear. So I would. And I had to ask him and I was told, no, that that was okay. So I thought, and, and I have wondered since then, I mean, it wasn't a bad word necessarily when I've mm-hmm. since then so what is allowed? <laughs> you know how far am I allowed to go? What words am I allowed to say that aren't considered swear or swear words are they okay? I still don't have an answer by the way I just listen very carefully to people mm-hmm. when they say and I think oh yeah that's okay like is it, it's okay to say damn it's okay to say hell what can you say? And the reason I pay a lot of attention to that is because I was in a speech contest at the mm-hmm. district level mm-hmm. And I was disqualified. My speech, there's no doubt that I had won the contest, by the way. There was no doubt by everybody, by the applause and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. The judges met. They met for about 25 minutes, and they had to even phone down into the states and so on to get a ruling because of one word that I used, which was erection. Really? Yes. Yeah, so I was disqualified, and that's what I was talking about—having an erection. Jesus. And so I was disqualified because I used <laughs> because I used that word. The title of my speech actually was was all. someday I'll someday I'll deliver the speech or something. But that's why I was disqualified. What well, was using the title an, of the speech? Permit. <laughs> permit an erection with a permit. Okay I was saying that you know it was a controlled population it was all a spoof to control population what was going to happen is, is everybody was going to all males were going to get hypnotized when they were born and throughout the years and so that they wouldn't be possible to have an erection without getting a permit okay <laughs> And so that's what the whole speech was about you know and it was yeah and it was control population it was just and so yeah, so I listened very carefully mm-hmm. because of that. I mean, I wasn't upset about it. I just thought, yeah, okay, that's what the rules are. The rules are the rules, well, However, and however they're applied. I, I believe they were applied equally, so mm-hmm. so that was fine. So, but, but that has led me to pay real attention to what people say in Toastmasters, and I find that what we could consider, maybe, or what I consider swear words said in Europe than there is in Canada or the United mm-hmm. States.
0: Okay. This is an interesting topic for me because this came up with um with our club too in the Krakow public speaking club and what um my st- viewpoint was is that uh, swearing should be okay because yeah i know i know it's <laughs> a, th- this is a, always a controversial topic because well what very uh go through the official documents of those masters there is no such restriction that um, it restricts what you should or should not say. It's me and a couple of my friends. We always interpret it in that way, that uh, you are allowed to say whatever you want. And it's like swearing doesn't necessarily lower the, the quality of the speech when it comes to emotions, when it uh, comes to eloquency. It's a matter of taste, not so much a matter of quality. That's my point of view and there is also one club in Ireland that is actually well they advertise themselves as a free speech club so whatever you do there whatever you say is allowed. Oh well, I got to go to that club. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to go definitely. You know? <laughs> where,
1: where in Ireland really? Where, yes, like Ireland.
0: Uh probably Dublin but uh whew. I don't, I don't remember their name, but I can look it up for you and, and oh, send yes, it to yeah, you. Yeah, I, yeah. I,
1: I've got to go there someday. Then. Yeah, yeah. I, I also <laughs> want to go, definitely.
0: It's, it sounds like a really fun club and a really honest club full of honest people. That's my impression. Maybe it's wrong. That's why I want to go and see.
1: So anyways, I want to go back into a couple of things that we did of course, in Toastmasters when, when I first joined that I really liked. And, and we explained a little bit about table topics and so on. Our table topics could be extremely difficult. However, what happened is, as I mentioned before, we had 10 speeches before you became a competent Toastmaster. And at the end of your seventh speech, when you completed what was required at the end of your seventh speech, we were given a Toastmaster's pin Hmm. that we wore in our lapel, and we always had to show up at the meeting with our pin. So when you looked around the room, if you were the table topics master, and you looked around the room and you saw that Gabor had a pin, then he he was yeah he was fair game then because he had proved he was competent. So you could ask him anything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas you look and somebody else who didn't have one, they were still in the process of learning, and you didn't want to embarrass them or make them feel bad or anything. You you, you were still trying to build them up, so you wouldn't ask them questions as hard. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if I asked you a question when you had a pin, and I was Tabletopics Master, and you said to me, and this is going back at this time, this is exactly what happened, you said to me, would you repeat the question, please? Mm -hmm. I would say, obviously you weren't listening Gabor, I'm sorry, but we'll ask somebody else. And I would go on to somebody else. (laughs) So you, you had to pay attention, and you knew that you didn't repeat the question What you could talk. But uh-huh. well, we also heard people at different times, they would talk for two full minutes and never answer the question whatsoever. they just go off way off on a tangent. Mm-hmm. And that was okay because they spent the two minutes. So we always were very careful to make mm-hmm. sure that whatever we did, we helped the person. And we used the, the, with the evaluations, we always used the, I think you're familiar with it, the sandwich technique? Yes. Yes, most people are. You know, you say something good, something that could help you in that and then something good again. And we used it even more so. There were times when we would have not one evaluator, but three. Because if you were really trying to do something, you would go to the educational vice president and say, look, this is really important to me. And I'm having a, you know, I'm having my speech here and I really want to know that I'm doing a good job. Can I have an extra evaluator or two? Mm -hmm. And we would do that. At other times, we would have Everybody in the club, if we, only, we always had four speakers a night, by the way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we, our meetings were fairly long. We'd have everybody in the club give you feedback mm-hmm. as you went along, but not to start off with, only mm-hmm. after you had your pin and we knew we could say, You missed this. <laughs> Why after the seventh speech? Because you were more competent then and you considered yourself competent, so it was, we could give you harder. Feedback at that particular time. We didn't have to spend as much time um, complimenting you as we did. Perhaps we almost went the opposite way. We said, here's something you can improve, here's something you could do well, here's something else you could improve. Mm -hmm. So we reversed the sandwich technique. Okay. And yeah, and most of the people, uh, all of them that I know of, appreciated that much more after you finished your seventh speech. Because you went and you you became a competent Toastmaster. So that was your CTM. Mm -hmm. The next level was your ATM, which was an accomplished Toastmaster. Now there was only five Mm -hmm. lessons in the manual. Each one had a different manual. There was only five lessons in that manual. But those speeches were all 12 to 14 minutes. Mm -hmm. And there was one, for example, where you had to use humor. And if you didn 't get anyone to laugh, you just obviously didn 't pass it right? If you were supposed to use humor and you used humor somehow, but nobody laughed or nobody appreciated mm-hmm. or understood it, then you couldn 't pass the lesson and parts of it were aimed towards those people at that particular time who wanted to go further with their speaking, so they mm-hmm. wanted to be speaking in public mm-hmm. and wanted to be comfortable speaking to a thousand people if possible, you know, so you should be comfortable with that mm. size and audience. And that's part of what the second manual was. The third, and that's where he became an ATM. The third level was DTM, and they still have that. I'm not exactly sure what the DTM is anymore. For me at that particular time, when I looked at it, the ATM and the DTM, I accomplished everything that was required of an ATM. I accomplished everything that was required of a DTM, and I didn't like the initials, I didn't like the idea of it, so I refused both.
0: You mean Distinguished Toastmasters, DTM? Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: So I decided, no, I don't want to be referred to as a DTM. Well, why not? I just didn't like the idea of of having it and saying, oh yeah, okay, so I'm a DTM, um, so therefore I'm better than you because you're only... uh, CTM sort of thing that was in my mind that's what it was and also that particular time I was looking at it and it was a paper chase
2: mhm
1: it was just a paper chase night. and I same as education I thought it was a paper chase okay right and I <clears throat> I I have my bachelor's degree I was offered a master's degree if I took one course so I took the course and then I was offered a PhD to take my PhD and I thought it doesn't make me any smarter So I refused it. Okay. So I just didn't think it gives you anything.
0: That was just my opinion at that time. I mean, this this is also an interesting point because, uh, for example, if you finish your projects and you learn your lessons, then it would mean that you are actually better. Like, maybe not, uh, how to say, like not a more valuable human being, but with better skills. So that's. that can be marked somehow. I guess this is this is my idea. What what I don't like is, for example, when this paper or title or whatever that you receive, it actually loses the work that is behind it, and you just get it just because you breathe or you are alive or you know, like uh, rainbows and uh, butterflies and whatever. We are all equal. Da 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 da. It's like, it might be true when we look at the value of a human being, because we are all, maybe, like, we have the same intrinsic value, but when it comes to the skills, it's different. And I don't think it's wrong to say that. Okay, so you have worked so much on your speeches, so much on your skills, it's visible, everybody can see that, you fulfill the criteria, and these criteria are really tough to achieve. So, yes, you jumped over the, how to say that, this... The hurdle. The the hurdle, yes, and you deserve this pin. And it represents all the work that you have put in to achieve this. So, here's what I didn't
1: like about it, especially the DTM. Here's what I didn't like about it. It had nothing to do with whether I could speak or whether I couldn't speak. Mm-hmm. So to become a DTM at that particular time, mm-hmm. and I, I said, I don't know exactly what it is right now. So I had to either save a s- club or start a new club. Mm-hmm. I had to teach somebody else. Save a club? Save a club, yes. What does that mean? When somebody, would, Let's say the club was getting down, they only had five or six members, oh. and I had to go in and help them get back up to 20 members or whatever it is. So, okay. you, so you're starting a new one or that. So those kind of things, there were several of those, so those kind of things had nothing to do with whether I could speak or whether I couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. So why would I become a distinguished Toastmaster that had nothing to do to improve my ability to present myself in making speeches? Mm -hmm. So that's why I didn't like it, and I still don't.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm guessing because it's communication. So all the leadership part, it's also connected to public speaking in a sense that it's also communication. And to, like in, in this example, to convince a club not to die. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that, that's something. Yeah. That's, I don't think that's easy to achieve. I didn't think it was difficult to achieve. Okay. <laughs> I
1: mean, I did all the requirements. And I just wasn't interested in getting the initials. So I never registered with Toastmasters International that I had them. Okay. I saved a club and I started two brand new clubs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And did all kinds of other things. So... I just didn't think that had anything to do with my speaking that had to do with something different.
0: Okay. Well, it's, it's, this
1: is when, interesting. When I also, when I first joined Toastmasters, speaking was number three. Mm-hmm. You went to Toastmasters for three things. Thinking, mm-hmm. listening, and speaking. Mm-hmm. So that was the focus, was thinking, because that's what they wanted you to do, to be able to think, the purpose of table it. The purpose of presenting a formal speech was for you to think about and plan how you were going to do it and also then listening because (coughs) we don't spend a lot of time listening and then speaking was last Mm -hmm. and now the focus as I see it is only speaking nothing else you don't have to think you don't have to listen you just talk what was what were the
0: elements in the in the training program that uh, that helped you with your thinking or with your listening
1: because I mentioned one of them before, the one I can
0: mostly remember,
1: is for you to convince an audience. So uh-huh. you had to come up with a good speech, a presentation, to convince everybody about a point of view or something. Uh-huh. So, if, so if your point of view was, Poland should leave the EU, okay. you had to stand up and convince people that that was good. If you didn't convince anybody, <laughs> you, as I said before, you didn't pass. It was things like that. Each one had an objective to present something almost negative, to speak before an audience, (coughs) to present a humorous speech, to all those different things that you had to accomplish as you Mm -hmm. went through. And I believe that once you had, and you were a competent Toastmaster, which was a CTM, that you had achieved everything. So you were competent. There was not much... You could still go to Toastmasters, obviously, and still learn and learn and learn, which Mm -hmm. I did. But you were competent. everybody was... who had a C T M CTM was a competent Toastmasters. Only those who wanted more should go through to become an ATM. And I think the DTM was just, I don't know, I guess if you wanted. I did, did know several people who became DTMs because that's what they wanted. But I just never saw the value in it. And I, as I said before, I still don't see the value in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. But Toastmasters does.
0: <laughs> okay. I I would agree that there is value in it, and I think um, we we will talk about it a bit later. I want to understand a bit more about the evolution of the the education system that, or devolution, if you like, of the education system that uh, Toastmasters had, because after this period, I guess. 70s 80s there was another system that is now called the legacy system it was before pathways and in this legacy system there were two paths the the first one it was about speaking and the second one was about leadership and when I say first and second it doesn't necessarily mean that one was superior to the other because both were they had the same importance and there are some similarities because when We look at the speaking path. We have competent communicator, then advanced communicator bronze, advanced communicator silver, and advanced communicator gold. Then when we had the leadership path, we had competent leader, uh, advanced leader bronze, advanced leader silver. There was no advanced silver gold, because that was a bit weird. And when you finished both paths, you have become a DTM, a Distinguished Dose Master. So that was quite hard to achieve. And if you were focusing really hard on achieving, becoming a DTM, that was about three years. But that means speaking every month and doing something every month. And it was quite, well, as I said, hard to achieve. I'm repeating myself. And I thought that this was something that is really nice that it's hard to achieve. That is actually hard to achieve, but also makes sense. Because for me, when I look at the community, there is a leader, then this leader has to do something for the community. And it's nice if this is rewarded. For example, saving a club or helping. His or her own club to become better, etc., and this all these were all rewarded in the leadership module. So, this was this something that you were participating in later, or only a little. When I first joined, okay. there
1: was no such thing as the bronze and silver and everything. Okay, that that wasn't that came in later. Okay, when they divided it. <clears throat> into into the two, just as you're saying, the leadership, communication, and leadership. And so your manual was a communication and leadership manual. Mm-hmm. And so there, just as you said, there were speeches that were strictly to do with communication. Mm-hmm. And then there were things that you had to do that were strictly to do with leadership. Mm-hmm. And yes, I like that. I like that idea. And I think that that part was good. And. I'm probably agreeing with you in many ways in the fact that I don't know why and I still haven't got a good idea as to the value or what happened to make Toastmasters change from that. Because I thought it was working really well. Mm-hmm. And that everybody had an opportunity to do both. Mm-hmm. And then it really meant something when you became a DTM. Mm-hmm. As I said, to me, it didn't really mean that much because it didn't wasn't focused on both. Mm-hmm. Later, at the second phase, and I'm going to call it the second phase. The first phase, there was just the one. The second phase was where you divided into communication and leadership, and now the third phase, which is the pathways. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, and I'm not sure. I'm not familiar enough with pathways only because I just, I guess probably I got a bias towards it because I just don't like it.
0: Right. <laughs> you
1: know, so I'm not Me paying neither. as much. <laughs> t- yeah. I just yeah, so I'm not paying as much attention to it. I thought it was really good, and I thought everybody had the opportunity. And you could look back and see how you were progressing. And I don't see that with Pathways right now. I think you just go through and you do something and you do something. Here's what I did with the first three speeches in Postmasters. Mm-hmm. Pathways, pardon me. I belong to an advanced club. Okay, I joined an advanced club, which is Advanced Toastmasters. Right. So everybody there is is a, a accomplished Toastmaster. So, the first three speeches, I purposely made them lousy. Okay. <laughs> purposely. I made all kinds of mistakes on purpose. And I know I didn't accomplish them because I, my intention was not to accomplish them. And I passed every time. So, you, they just signed the book, you know, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Well, next time try such and such. Well, <laughs> and I thought, that has no value to me. Yeah. I could deliver another four or five speeches and they would all be the same. And everybody would just sign my manual. Oh, yes, you know. Dave, if you just do this and this, I said, I don't like that. There was no correction. In our club, in the advanced club, we had, uh, there was a lady there who had won the uh, international speech contest. So she was pretty, she was pretty good. Yeah. I don't think she was excellent because I've heard, I didn't just, didn't agree. You know, it's the same with everyone. You hear seven speeches and I think number three is good, <coughs> and this person wins who's number five. Well, I thought three was better. Everybody has their own opinion and their own yep. belief. No doubt that she was a very good speech speaker. <coughs> and uh, so she was in the club, and we had others who
0: <coughs> had won. Um, when did she win?
1: I'm trying to remember now when she won. It was probably about 15 years ago, I think. 12 okay. Or 15 years ago, so she won. I was in a speech. I placed second in all of Canada in a... Canada Day's speech contest through Hmm. Toastmasters. So Congratulations. Yeah, so I thought I didn't do too bad, so I was in this club and then there was other people who had gone past uh, district level to the next level, but not to the finals. Mm -hmm. And so we had lots of good speakers in, in, in the club, in this advanced club. But again, as I said, I just gave the three speeches just sort of off the cuff kind of thing. <clears throat> so and and I didn't like that <laughs> because I passed them off. And I'm thinking, okay, what a waste of t- my time and, <laughs> and their and and their time too, probably because I and maybe I shouldn't have done it, but I did anyway because I didn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. So now I'm back in Toastmasters again, and so I've delivered my icebreaker. So now I'm supposed to pick and Pathways, what I'm going to do again, and I'm <laughs> really having a hard time fighting with myself that I don't just do the same <laughs> the same thing, and I'm thinking, oh, this is just a waste. That's not what I want. I want to get... What I really like in Toastmasters is to get up, deliver my speech, and I would probably like it if every single person evaluated me mm-hmm. at the end of the speech. Everybody. Everybody, sure. Everybody that's there, I... And I think that I would like that for everybody every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, here's how you're doing it. Only if that person wanted it. Sure. You know, And and it doesn't have to be much. All the person does is just do one after another and away you go. The clubs that I've seen in Europe are not formal at all. There's no formality to it, which I have a hard time, a little bit of a hard time with it. Because I've... Probably because I guess I'm formal. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just that simple. <clears throat> you know, they don't acknowledge the toastmaster when they're called up. You don't acknowledge the table topics master, and so on. They just get up and 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 you start talking. So that part is diff- different, really different. And and I'm just wondering why we were why <laughs> why we were taught those formalities to mm-hmm. acknowledge the chair or whoever was calling you up to speak. So it's quite a, quite informal here. In, in comparison
0: hmm. and this is um, something that uh, that I also wanted to talk about this um, sort of feeling of decline in toastmasters because I maybe spent one tenth of the time that you did in toastmasters and I still feel that there is a decline in toastmasters So maybe we are both wrong or maybe there is (laughs) something like this because uh, what I have observed and what uh, they always tell us is two things that I think really important. First is that Toastmasters is like a family organization that focuses on the member and the member is on the top. So whatever the member needs, the leadership provides. That's one of the things. And the other thing is the values. That is uh, RISE or IRSE, as uh, they like to put it. And these are integrity, uh, response... No, no, no. Respect. Uh, Respect, yes. Uh, Service and excellence. Am I right? Yes. Yes. So what's... The pathways, the introduction of pathways showed me that Toastmasters itself doesn't really respect its own values and they don't really treat the members the way they say they treat them. Because this is my opinion. How it happened is that there was maybe a leadership meeting or several leadership meetings where they where they decided for everybody that we are going to take the old system, the legacy system that has developed into what I said, the leadership path, the speaking mm-hmm. path, etc., throw it all away, like bang, bye, keeping just a few elements, and putting into place a completely new thing that was essentially advised by uh, by corporate advisors that they hired big companies <laughs> to advise them to to recreate the whole system. So that means that um, <clears throat> but first is that they created somebody for the members without really asking them and then um, it doesn't really respect the values because it doesn't show integrity if you just take the whole system and throw it all away and I don't think it serves the the membership this way I don't think it's very respectful for all the past achievements that those masters has done or go through and it doesn't really show excellence because of what you said and because I also see that Pathways is a really, really chaotic system. It's really hard to see what you have achieved, what you have not achieved. It's Everything has gotten easier, everything has gotten easier to achieve. You get pins, you can get, for example, a Triple Crown that is finishing three uh, education paths or education levels. And it, in the past, let's talk about, like in the legacy system, it was really hard. You had to work at least a year or two to get it. And now you can maybe achieve it in one month or two. I can go on and on for <laughs> see, a long time. Singapore, I agree with you. Yeah, I believe yeah. that they had a good The
1: first system that I went through, they mm-hmm. changed it. But they didn't make drastic changes. They looked at it and they said, okay, we can improve this a little bit, we can improve this a little bit, and we'll come up with these two paths, Mm -hmm. which they did, the communication and leadership, right? They divided it because it was important. Mm -hmm. And I think all they had to do was look at those two again and say, okay, how can we improve the communication? I don't know how Pathways improves the communication. I don't know how Pathways improves the leadership. I, I get lost there, so I look at it and thought, yeah, they could have tidied that up and said, okay, so maybe we have to make it... Even harder, or even longer, or something like like that, to look at it, or even add a third thing and say, okay, so because if you want to be a professional speaker, then maybe we have to add just the third one, which is an option, and saying, okay, this is ones only for those who want to be professional speakers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or think they are going to be making a lot more public presentations than the normal guy who just wants to learn how to speak better, mm-hmm. right? And then they could have added something like that. And that's it. And then had a look at that. I don't remember being asked for any input.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I don't remember any survey coming out or anything like that. I don't remember ever seeing one. I don't know if there was one. I certainly never seen it or it wasn't any part of it. Okay. To say, like, what do you like about the present system? What don't you like about the present system? And then looking at it and going from there. Because that's the normal way. That's the, actually one of the better ways that you do it. Mm-hmm. That's how you change things in management you know you have to have input if you don't have input from people um, they look at it differently
2: Mm -hmm. sure
1: yeah and there's an old saying from a guy by the name of Ian Piercy that says those who plan the battle don't battle the plan Mm -hmm. and we were never given an opportunity to plan the battle of what we were going to do Mm -hmm. so you end up with people like me who battle the plan Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, because I didn't have input and maybe my input wouldn't have been listened to, but I would have felt much better having my input and knowing that, you know, four thousand other people just disagreed with me or six thousand and I'd say, Yeah, okay, that's fine. But I don't know if anybody had any input. So you can help me there if they did, I don't know. I haven't
0: heard about (laughs) such thing either. I was I was asking because they were so confident that this is what we need that I at first I assumed that there was something like this, but I haven't heard about it. Some sort of survey, but uh, I asked people, and they tell me the same as you do: that nobody asked anybody, anything.
1: Yeah, I I think they had all kinds of intellects and all kinds of teachers, academics involved in the change. Mm-hmm. And I and I always think that that's the wrong way. <laughs> Because if you just have academics involved, what you get is something from academia. Mm -hmm. And what you need is something that is far more common and has more value to the people themselves Mm -hmm. without that. Because they don't speak that language to start off with, they speak a different language. And they do Mm -hmm. want the comfort, and they do want to come up with something better. However, I look at it too and think, okay, so what about the new guy who comes along? Do they like it? And I've talked to a few who have just been confused about it a little bit. So I haven't mm-hmm. talked to a lot of people, only about two or three who, who say, oh, well, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. So if you join Toastmasters and you're told, this is what it is, mm-hmm. well, you just accept that. I understand that. You're not going to fight about it or argue about it because you don't know any different. Yes. And it's only other people. I don't know how if they've lost more members or if they've gained more members. And I don't know if they measure that. I think they have. I think there's some clubs, a lot of clubs who are failing now. I think, and I don't think mm-hmm. it's just because of COVID. I think they have to go back and look at it and say, wow, why are these, why are we failing? The organization should be growing, and I don't see it growing. I don't see them getting more members all the time. Mm-hmm. Industry has quit supporting it in Canada. As I said, remember I told you right at the start that the industry paid f- for mine as soon as I yes. finished, so I got a CTM. They gave me all my money back,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that was open to anybody who went to Toastmasters. Regardless of the position that you're in in the company, so that you're, you, were, you know, trying to improve your skill. I don't know of any companies that are doing it anymore. I know that there's the odd company that has Toastmasters meetings right in there, in mm-hmm. part, as part of a part of the company, and anybody can join. But I don't know of any industry support. If there is whether there is or there isn't.
0: So you say that uh, corporations they don't support Toastmasters anymore. Not that I know of general Electric, example,
1: okay, huge, huge company. they used to really strongly support it. i don't know if they support it anymore or not. I don't see it. I don't hear wow
0: that that's uh, that's really interesting what you say because my my conspiracy theory in my head was that um, big corporations supported Toastmasters so much that they actually threw away everything that they didn't need, and they just kept something that is corporate-oriented and nothing else. Because that's how Pathways looks like for me. But then it doesn't make any sense if um, if that's the case, that corporations don't support Toastmasters anymore, financially, I mean.
1: I didn't see how uh,
0: the industry left it
1: to Toastmasters. They just said, you've got a good product, mm-hmm. keep delivering this product, we like it. I don't think they had gigantic input into it one way or the other. I think it's people only in Toastmasters who decided to change it. And I don't know if that's true or not. That's just my belief is they didn't go to industry and said, what would you like to see? What wouldn't you like to see? And so they came up with this because it kind of looks good. But Mm -hmm. again, if it's from academia, that's (laughs) all you're going to get is academia, you know. And we're not academics. The majority of people in Toastmaster are not academics. We're not interested in that. We've gone to school. We've finished our school. We've finished all that kind of learning. We don't want that. At least I didn't want that. I don't want that at all. Uh I don't want to go back to school. (laughs) I want to learn and I want to be treated totally 100% as an adult, And whether I'm uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever. And I want to be treated like an adult totally, completely, and I don't know if Pathfinder gives me that or not. Mm-hmm. So I mean I I I can't change it. I'm stuck with it. So what do I do? Uh, uh, mostly, I'll probably ignore it, and I'll, just, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just deliver whatever speeches I I want. And if I get my feedback, then I'm happy.
0: Okay. But this is for me such a shitty situation. Oh, am swearing for you. Is that um, like there is. A worldwide institution that is Toastmasters it's dedicated itself to help people how to communicate better and nobody really understands what is going on in Toastmasters so what does it say about their communication <laughs>
1: yeah
0: that's uh, okay that's this really unbelievable for me what is happening and I, there is a lot of frustration also because I asked questions, I went to people, and when I, I just um, I was banging my head into closed doors, telling me that uh, oh it's already done, it's decided about, don't worry about it, just go with it, believe us, it's really it will be really good for you, you like the legacy system more because you haven't tried pathways yet, etc., and that I am how to say like against the new because like this this is my my problem that I should be op- more open for the new and this was the first <laughs> time I got this comment ever in my life <laughs> usually is the comment that shut up you are a rebel <laughs> don't do this etc so yeah that's um that's that's something that uh, that seems to be wrong and another comment what you said is that uh, I also agree with it deeply that there are a lot of people now that are leaving Toastmasters, that's a fact. And the opinion is that it's not because not only because of COVID, it's also because of what happened before. There were a lot of people who experienced the legacy system who just don't like pathways, and they left in swarms. There is, for example, one district uh, that my friend leads in the U.S., And he said that they had 150-something clubs, and now they are down to 90-something clubs, just within a year. So I think that indicates a deeper crisis than just COVID. I don't know, what, what do you think?
1: People join Toastmasters, I believe, for a very specific reason, and that's to learn exactly as you said before, how to talk. When I joined, it was formal. I liked the in, informality, but I also believe you have to learn. And you can just learn in an informal setting versus a formal setting that I first started in Toastmasters and learned. Mm-hmm. And you need input from all your members. And you, and you have to know within your own club. We did surveys within our own club every once in a while. Like We would have about once every three months, I believe it was, maybe it was four, We'd have a business meeting where every Toastmaster was asked, and we talked about things and saying, okay, so how's it going, guys? You know, do you like what we're doing? Do You're not like, what can we do to help you? What can we do to make it better kind of thing? Mm-hmm. I never ever heard any of that, by the way, before they got the Pathways. Nobody ever said, what do you like? What don't you like? Sort of thing, thing. And, and what is it you want to learn here? And people would say, well, boy, I like the formal speeches even though I have a hard time with it or something like that. I like it and I like the feedback. Mm -hmm. I really like the feedback. I like the table topics and I like the general evaluator who in some clubs, in the club I belong to, for example, the general evaluator evaluated every person who gave a table topic. Mm -hmm. So you got a little evaluation on your table topic from the general evaluator. And the general evaluator had to be somebody in our club who had been around for a while because you had these big responsibilities. Keep in mind, we had a club of 40 some odd people, so it was easy, easier to do. And you have to build it up. And people want to learn how to speak. They don't want to be in a bad spot where somebody asks them a question or puts them on a spot and you look like a fool. When I first joined Toastmasters, before I joined Toastmasters when I looked at it, I was asked to second emotion at a public meeting. They said, oh, when the meeting comes up, would you second the motion? And all I had to do was stand up and say, I second the motion. That's it. I second the motion. Four words. I rehearsed it. (laughs) I was so nervous. (laughs) I really was. That's all I had to do, is stand up and say. "I." And I was embarrassed and everything else. When it comes to time for me to second the motion, I stood up and I said it. I don't know if I fumbled or anything else. I know I had a hard time doing it. And I thought, I'm never doing that again.
2: Okay.
1: I'm joining Toastmasters so I can never be in that position. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be embarrassed to do those kind of things and everything else. I want it to be a natural, I want to talk about Crosses being a natural thing. So I joined Toastmasters. Now I could speak in front of a group of 10,000 if I had to. Mm-hmm. And I learned all that at Toastmasters. I know that. Yes, I believe I have some natural ability to speak, which I believe you have too. I mean, you you got to like to talk. <laughs> you know, and you can't be so embarrassed all the time just because you make a mistake I mean right. there's those things that are natural but Toastmasters I believe taught me an awful lot at that time and I look at pathways and I've looked at different things and I'm saying okay so which path am I going to pick well I don't like any of them so now what do I do I say oh well you got to pick this well do you want to be a professional speaker and I say well I've been a professional speaker before so mm-hmm. I don't want to do that anymore I mean, I can go back and I can do that. I talked for a living for a while. Like, leadership. Well, maybe you want to be a leader. I'm 81 years of age. What am mm. I going to lead? A bunch of old guys. I don't know. Mm. You know, kind of thing. I'm not interested in the leadership anymore. So I look at it. Whereas previous, I could just still stay in Toastmasters, deliver my speeches, get my evaluations, and continue to improve. As I said, I'm a good speaker. I, want, I was an excellent speaker, and I want to be back there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to be excellent again. I went over two years without saying an ah or an um and now I say it I don't like that so I want to change that and I know I can get all those corrections and things from Toastmaster that's important to me so they do pay attention to me
0: Mm -hmm. earlier I did ask you what do you think is a good speech and now I want to ask you what makes somebody an excellent speaker because you are talking about it but I don't think it's obvious (coughs) for many of us
1: an excellent speaker is somebody who has their speech that they've planned out that they've probably rehearsed before they deliver it they've started off and they've looked at it and the very first thing you have to come up with is a topic that's the most important thing so you come up with a topic and you say okay here's what my topic is and You have to, first of all, start off and say, my topic is of interest to everybody who's in this Toastmasters group. Because if it's not, why are you giving it? Hmm. So if I was to give a speech about gopher eyes, who would be interested in that? What is that? A gopher. Just a little rodent. If I talked about their eyes for five to seven minutes... Everybody would look at you and say, is that guy nuts? Like, what is he talking about? Nobody's interested. So you pick your topic. That's the most important thing. And it's got to be of interest to people, Mm -hmm. not just interest to yourself. If it's of interest to yourself, then generally you can give a better speech because you're really interested. So it's got to be interesting to the rest of the group, whatever that happens to be. So you pick your topic, then you write it down, or you highlight what it is that you want to say. Mm I haven't seen anybody here in this club use notes. And I think my, and part of, I don't think, part of my belief is that when you're first starting off with Toastmasters, you should use notes. Mm-hmm. You should be encouraged to use notes. The second step is you learn how to hide your notes so that people don't see you using notes. And the third step is you do not use notes. Mm-hmm. But for somebody to stand up right now and give a speech without using any notes can be far more intimidating and far more difficult for them. So I believe to be an excellent speaker. First, you, you've gotta have, as I said, your topic. You come up with your topic. Then you have a look at it and you say, okay, so what has to be in my topic? It's gonna to be interesting to people. What are the other things that I have to do? I have to do eye contact. So what in my speech, how am I going to make sure I have eye contact with everybody? What is there I can do? What can I learn and what have I learned? to make eye contact with everybody. I say, and I tell people all the time, the easiest way to get con- to make eye contact is to stop talking. Mm. And even if people are writing, they'll look up at you. So mm. you get eye contact. How do you vary your voice? You want to mm. vary your voice, you've got to vary the speech sometimes. You've got to talk for really fast every once in a while to get over a point. Then you've got to slow down and sometimes say, one word after another. You have to change your volume. So sometimes you're talking a bit louder than others, and then to really emphasize something, you drop your voice down very low. But not so low that people can't hear you, but low. So you're looking at the speed, your modulation, and your volume back and forth, keeping in mind your topic. You You learn how to use pause, so you can pause. Five to seven minutes. You have to know exactly how long five to seven minutes is. So five to seven minutes speeches, that's what the majority are. You should be aiming for six minutes. When you rehearse, you should, by yourself, that should only be five minutes and 15 seconds. So you'll learn those things. It's Five minutes and 15 seconds when you do it by yourself it is six and a half to six minutes and 45 seconds when you talk in front of a group. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. I mean, I think you know that. You know, when you talk to yourself versus in front of people, it takes longer in front of people. So part of your excellence in speech is just learning all those things. You have to have an opening that is really catchy, whatever it happens to be. You have to have a body that, whatever that happens to be, and a closing. And quite often people will look at it and you say, okay, tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Those three will always accomplish it for the body until you learn how to do some things different. If you can and look at it and you say you have to have a closing, sometimes your closing can just be a dramatic closing or your opening can just be a, a dramatic opening. It doesn't have to be a long speech. It can just be something that is dramatic. For example, one well, I remember he delivered his speech. He went up to the, <laughs> to the front, and his opening was he hauled out a firing pistol and shot in the air. What a dramatic opening that was. Everybody paid attention immediately. And then he went into the body of his speech. His closing was the same. He fired the pistol again, only he fired it, qu- not quietly, because <laughs> the pistol was loud, but he fired it down, and no, nobody saw it. Kind of thing. It just was there, and so it's those kind of things. It's learning and saying, okay, I've got to have a dramatic opening, or I've got to have an opening if I'm speaking for seven minutes, six minutes, whatever it happens to be. Maybe I'll have a 30, 45 second opening, and this is going to be my closing, depending on what the body of your speech is. So you've got to have that. Your voice modulation, your eye contact, your hand movements. You've got to give the proper hand movement, and you've got to use them. Not too many people in Europe talk more with their hands by the way than Americans oh. Canadians are Americans you just, they just do and you must learn that I guess when you're younger so you use your hand and your hand movements have to make sense I once gave a speech for example where all my hand movements every single one and my facial expressions you have to get good facial expressions were the opposite of what I was talking about mm. so I talked about a woman and a man all those things the opposite body movements that I was showing was was, and boy it was a real hard speech to do because I had to try and remember because it wasn't necessarily a natural thing but you have to have that so you have that in your actual speech you have to have there's an old expression from professional speakers or people who want to be professional speakers "Is do I have to use humor and the answer is only if you want to get paid
2: If you don't
1: have some humor, you're not going to be paid because you're just just boring through the whole thing. Nobody wants to listen to a boring speech. Uh The other thing is to learn how long will people can you hold the people's attention. So it's all learning all these things. How long can you hold people's attention with the same topic? Mm -hmm. Three minutes. Then you have to change. So whatever your speech is, whatever you're talking about, you have to somehow change it slightly so you're talking about something minute, three minutes later or you'll start to lose your audience. So you have to be able to change something. So you're looking at and you're saying, I'm giving okay, a seven-minute speech so i got to change it three minutes. Then i got to change it six minutes. That's okay because that's where my closing is going to be. And so it can tie up or do something totally different. Mm-hmm. What else can I think of? <laughs> You have to know and appeal to your audience. There are times when you can move away from your audience and speak louder so that you're way over there kind of thing and you speak louder and then you come really close to your entire audience, almost in your audience but never your back to them. You don't turn your back to them and then you drop your voice down. A lot of people use AIDS now. They're using an iPad or something mm-hmm. like that to help them with their speech and so on. So you have to think about that whether you're not going to use that. I personally don't use them, but that's just because of my age, probably more so than, than any other reason. So I, that's what all I can think of right now to get an excellent speech. Mm-hmm. To, to, yeah. And it's constantly learning, learning that, like learning that it's five to seven minutes, learning that you have to change at the end of three minutes, you have to put something in. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult if you're giving a 20 minute speech every three minutes you got to change something wow yes you do Hmm. that kind of thing it's the same as when you're doing this podcast every two or three every three minutes you're changing something slightly and you have done that today by the way really Yes. so you're changing it slightly each time doesn't that be exactly three minutes you're not going to watch out looking at and say okay three minutes you know it's two minutes 45 seconds or three minutes or four minutes it doesn't matter it gets in there but if it goes to five or seven minutes you're starting to lose people And that's what you don't want. You want them to be enticed to listen to what the next thing is that's coming.
0: Amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, Time is slowly up, but we still have um, a few minutes. And I would like you to give us a summary about, just briefly, what is it that you have learned in Toastmasters?
1: (laughs) I know, again,
0: it can be probably hours. And why are you still in Toastmasters, even if you don't like Pathways? Because my answer to the problem was to leave, but you are still in Toastmasters, so why is that? So again, the question is, what is it that you have learned, briefly, and why are you still in Toastmasters, even when you said that there is not much else that you can learn at the moment?
1: Well, I think I've answered both those questions, (coughs) but I'll recap them again. Yeah, summary. Okay, Mm -hmm. the first thing that I learned, remember I said I was just embarrassed to even stand up and speak or anything else. When I was younger, my nickname actually was Pinky because my face (laughs) went bright red all the time because I was so embarrassed even to talk to people. And so I have learned not to be embarrassed. That's what Toastmasters has taught me. And Toastmasters has also taught me how to think and how to listen. So I listen more than I ever did before. I'm going back ten, fifteen, twenty years, and I'm comfortable speaking on any subject whatsoever. I don't care what the subject is. People can just throw something at me, and I'm and I and I can speak on it probably intelligently. I can do it well enough. It's taught me this Toastmasters that if somebody asks me a real highly highly technical question, I don't know anything about. I am comfortable now saying, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about that.
2: <laughs> hmm. Whereas before
1: I might have had to answer it or look or being embarrassed or something. So I've learned that. So I've learned a lot from Toastmasters. I believe I've become oh I don't believe I know I've become probably five or six hundred percent far more confident at everything I do because it just doesn't go with your speeches. When you become confident in one thing, the confidence kind of carries over to the next and the next and the next is at sort of one just not one thing and you build on it mm. I'm still at Toastmasters because I want to be excellent again I want to speak excellent and I'm still in Toastmasters I like Toastmasters here because I hear English mm. rather than just this white noise I call it all the time which is a language I don't understand and that wouldn't matter whether I was in Hungary or wherever I was and so I, and I it helps me with my listening and the fact that because everybody here is speaking with an accent, a different accent, I really have to listen to what they say and I'm quite often saying, huh? <laughs> 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 well, like, what is it? You know, can you repeat that? Or what exactly did you say? Because I don't always hear what it is that people say. I like the friendship. I like the people I meet. I like to share whatever knowledge I have I want people to have it, I have a belief that everybody can be a good speaker not necessarily mm-hmm. an excellent speaker, but everybody can be a good speaker regardless of who they are and how much skills they have so I like to share that there's a part of me that likes to show off there's no question about that in my mind either, because you're up on a stage and the and with Toastmasters you're up on a stage and so you say whatever it is whether it's table topics or prepared speeches and then you hear this mm. And there's something that makes you feel good, regardless of whether you're brand new or whether you've been around for years. It's kind of nice to hear, and I do like that applause Mm. from Toastmasters and that we do that. I don't think we do it too often, and I I think it's just great. So you hear that, you get to feel a little bit better about yourself. I also believe that everybody who goes has the opportunity to (laughs) feel better when the meeting is over than they did when the meeting started. Mm. That's simple.
0: Yeah. I I got a bit nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> when I was listening to you. And yeah, that's these are the reasons why so by these, I mean, community appreciation, uploading instead of clapping. <laughs> Something I learned from you. So these these are the the ones that still keep me around Toastmasters so when I'm saying that I'm leaving, I left Toastmasters International so I'm not an official member anymore but I'm I'm more than happy to to stay around my club, Krakow Public Speaking Club and to see what happens, at least in the next few months and then afterwards we will see, but this is an excellence an excellence of speaking this is also something that that I'm looking for and going after, now and in the future as well.
1: Yeah, and I guess one more comment. It's a safe place to make mistakes. Mm. That's really important, and I forgot to say that before. It's a safe place to make a mistake, because nobody's gonna say, wow, or give you a horrible face or anything, and say, what the hell is that guy, doesn't even know what he's talking about, what a (laughs) dummy. Nobody's (laughs) gonna say any of that. They're gonna listen to you. They're gonna give you some constructive feedback Their own only their own opinion. Everybody only every has their opinion, and that's what the evaluators do. And it is very safe for you to get up there and say what you want. And I think that's great. And I think this club demonstrates that too. I watched because I watched that very closely. And any new member, anybody coming in from the street or whatever, is welcome. And if they stand up and they flounder and everything, nobody is criticizing them for it. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's important, isn't it?
0: It is and I still think that it's an amazing club and it has really great roots yeah. I think we lost a lot of our formality that we used to have two years ago but I think if we have a good membership again by good I mean a good sized membership again then I think we will be coming back to normal at least that's what I hope and I'm really hopeful for, <laughs> for the club and also I want to thank you very much for coming here to, to my flat, that I welcomed you here and um, you shared your amazing knowledge and memories about the past. Thank Just you for having me. My big pleasure. And what I want to continue with is for the listeners and also for, for David, who I hope going to, to listen to a couple of other talks too, is that uh, I want to keep continue, invite interesting people who can have an input, a really great material about life, about questions, about topics that can be taboos, that can be interesting for uh, some other reasons. Now, for example, because I was leaving Toastmasters, I wanted to understand, what is it that that I have learned what was important in the journey and what the future might hold so again David thank you very much for being here I'm mindful about the handshake from now on (laughs) and if you have a few final words then please say it now no
1: that was it thank you very much I I enjoyed it and I enjoyed our conversation and I hope people do listen and get something out of it I, I, I hope they do
0: Well, if they click on it, then it's going to be pure gold. (laughs) That's what I'm confused about. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening, for being on this journey with us. And always remember to come speak with Gabor at GaborSpeaks.com.